these new, you know, we got all these new ones on there now that they don't, they wouldn't know a real country song that heard it, you know. Up and down Broadway, across the avenues, East Nashville to West End, Belmont and Bellevue, Midtown, Franklin, Green Hills, Redwood, Donaldson, and Hendersonville. The people, the places, the lifestyle, living, loving in the 615. Welcome to the Pod 615 with your host, William Kitchens. In this episode, we present part two of our discussion with Tennessee poet laureate, Margaret Britton Vaughn. We hope you had the opportunity to listen to part one of this special two-part series already available on this streaming platform. So, let's jump right back in. Enjoy. Well, tell me, let's talk about the Ryman book. Okay. Because that, the one you had published, the Tennessee and published. Well, listen. The Ryman Auditorium, to me, is the greatest building in the world. Now, people say, Maggie, you need to travel more. Well, uh, I don't care. I'm in love with the Ryman. And um, I, in 1960, I was backstage every Saturday night with them all. I knew them all. And, uh, and, and part of when I came back, I was backstage and when I came back in 65. And um, I... Um, I, I love the rhyme, but there's something about that old building that tells you a story. I mean, you feel it when you walk in. You hear the walls talk. And that's, uh, I wrote that first book uh, where the rhyme is telling the story about her children, Minnie Pearl and all of them. And uh, it's my favorite book. Uh, my other one next to favorite is called Ken, which I talk about my Ken folks. But, um, the Ryman, oh my goodness! Uh, there's nothing like the Ryman Auditorium. You got poems there about the late Ralph Embry. Ralph Embry. Uh, one of my favorites is just a real simple four line one. I wish I had it with me. Uh, chewing gum. Chewing gum. Where you yeah. talk about just the chewing massive gum. amounts of chewing gums On holding them together. Yeah, holding those pews together. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to mention some artists here that you've had the pleasure of knowing, either knowing or hearing stories about. One that resonated with me when we first met was the story of what Minnie Pearl told you about Hank Williams. Oh. When he was being uh, kicked off the uh, yeah. Opry. Yeah, well, Hank drank a lot, and he'd show up with too much to drink on Saturday night when he was doing the Opry. And uh, uh, they said, we're going to give you one more chance. And he showed up drinking. And he was going to go on in about... Four to five minutes or something, and many got in the back seat of a car, and someone was driving, and he rode around Nashville to try to sober him up. And he, she was sitting back there with him, and she said, "Oh, Hank, look at the light." They looked out the window. Said, "Look at the light," because his famous song was "I Saw the Light." And she said, "Look at the light, Hank. Look at the light," and he said. There ain't no light, many. There ain't no light. Uh, I heard so many wonderful stories from her. It's just incredible. And you did write that poem, Grinder Switch. Yes, I wrote the Grinder Switch poem, and she went nuts over it. It's great. And that's when she said, "You got to write a, You got to write the book. You got to write your book." And I took it to her. 
the manuscript. That's when she took it to the Opry. She loved it. She wrote them forward to it, uh, encouraging people to read Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And I hope I hope this gets reprinted because it needs well, to be. Well, I hope it does too yeah. when I get the money. Um, one of the, uh, someone was asking me that day, may have been you, somebody, about the pew, the 18th pew, left-hand side. That was, was that me. Uh, we talked about that. That's one of the poems well, in the book. Well, you asked me if I sat in the 18th pew. Well, Lord, I sat in all of them when I wasn't backstage. And uh, but I would look out at people in those pews, oh, just starry eyed, looking at those Grand Ole Opry people, and children sleeping, their heads in their laps. And I thought, I got to write this, and I did. It's called Eighteenth Pew, Left Hand Side, and the rhyming coming. The whole book's the rhyming talking. Absolutely, you give voice to the to, to the, the, the. You gave voice yeah. to the people of Tennessee. You gave voice to the rhyming. You gave voice to your. To moms. Well, you're, to every, I tried to, you know. Yes, you've done a wonderful job, Maggie. Well, thank um, you. I want to ask you about so Ralph Emery. Did you ever meet Ralph? Oh, yeah. I Tell me about all. Ralph. Well, I mean. He, he just recently first, passed he, away, and he was. Yeah, uh, he was first married to Skeeter Davis, and uh, they divorced. And uh, oh, Ralph was there. I knew them all. Ott Divine and. Uh, all of them. Uh, uh, I'm going to mention some names. Okay. Uh, I think Grandpa Jones. Well, Grandpa was there with Ramona, his wife, and they would come out and do something together. And he was so friendly. They were all friendly. Back then, it was just country. They were still country folks and acted like country folks, you know, that never met a stranger. Um. He 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 was nice. They were all nice. All those announcers and uh, Ralph Emery and and uh, Art Divine and and. Um, all right, what about uh, it's tragic, but the string bean. String bean was oh that was terrible. String bean, you know he just carried his money around in his pocket and hid it in the fireplace and all that and. I don't think he went to the bank. I think he just kept it there at the house. And some guys knew it and murdered him, stole the stuff. And it was terrible because String was funny. You know, wore those britches down around his knees with the belt on around his knees. Yeah, he was kind of ahead of the times, wasn't he? Yeah, yes, he was. But nice. All of them were friendly. It was like family back then. Sure. Um, All right, your best friend, Loretta. Yeah. And you uh, met Loretta. Yeah. And you guys became fast friends. Yeah. And um, Carl and Pearl Butler were dear friends of mine who did Don't Let Me Cross Over, Love's Cheating Line. You know, that was recorded by everybody. And uh, they, Penny J wrote that, and I knew Penny real well. And Tell me about the best performance you ever saw backstage for the rhyming. There has to be one performance that happened while you were there that made you go, you mean wow, that, that, that was, was something. going on backstage or no, on stage? No, you can tell me that story too, but I'm talking about well, the one, know. the yeah. live performance that made you go, wow, that was really oh, something special. I don't know. They they all did. You know, of course, when Benny would come on, my heart would pound because of my love for her. Um, I don't. Were you like, there when uh, Nixon appeared? No. I was not there that night. Roy Acuff. Tell me about Roy. Oh, he was wonderful. Roy Acuff was 
one of the first ones on there, you know, um, and it started in 1925 and, um, I can't remember the year Roy came, but Roy and many were real close and, um, Roy helped so many people. And I wrote a song about him, uh, about him not long ago that I hope gets cut one day. Um, it, uh, it's fun. It's, it's, I don't know. You got to kind of be brave. Songs about that. These new, you know, we got all these new ones on there now that they don't, they wouldn't know a real country song. If they heard it, you know, they kind of gone pop a little. And the songs about these new people that go to ACUF and say, you know, you really need to update the times of what we're doing, you know. And, of course, his big hit back years ago was Great Speckled Bird. And the song goes, Roy said, uh-huh. And, honey, that night he gave him the bird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, tell me about little Jimmy Dickens. Oh, Jimmy was fun. Um, you got a poem about him in your book. Yeah, about him being little and, yeah. and loud. He wrote a song, I'm little, but I'm loud. Something about a cold potato. That's cold potato, take an old cold potato and wait. You know, tater, he called it, tater and wait. And sleeping at the foot of the bed, you know. And Lord, if you were stayed in the country, you slept at the foot of the bed when company came. If they didn't have more, just the one bedroom, you know, you... You you went to the foot of the bed of your grandparents, you know, and the other people had another. You said back in the farm days they had two beds a lot of times in one room, and that I think that's where he, that came from. Where he he did sleeping at the foot of the bed. Ernest Tubb. Ernest Tubb was he helped so many people. He he and Loretta uh, cut a duet of mine, and um, called the bartender. And um, he he was just helpful to everybody. Never met a stranger, and all of them that way. They'd help anybody they could. But he had uh, the record shop, and at midnight he had the Ernest Tubb midnight show, and I'd be there a lot. Uh, I was going to ask you about that, the midnight gym. Yeah, I was on that. I, he had me on there to read a poem. I think it was about Ralph Henry, because Ralph was there that night. About that. Well, my poem about Ralph Henry, I was on there. The one that's in your book? It's in the book, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's great. Um, what were those jamborees like? I bet that was a hard ticket after the show. Well. Trying to squeeze everybody in well, there. Well, they, they did what they could. You know, they just kept it going as long as they could. I mean, it would have gone all night if the radio stations had stayed on all night. They'd it had, was the after party. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was. You know, and during the breaks, if they were on at 7 o'clock, usually they were back on at around 9. And so they would go off at 7.30, and a new group would come on the stage. And they'd go over to Tootsie's. And Tootsie's had an upper room that people didn't know about that was closed off. We'd go in the back door, and we'd sit in up there. Through the alley. Yeah, through the alley. And we... uh We'd cut up for a while, and uh, then we'd go back over to the Ryman, you know. And uh, it was great just sitting there talking to people, talking to them. The, they weren't snobs. They weren't holier than thou. 
that they just would sit and talk to you like you were talking to a family. And we were family. We we were family back then. I loved it. I wouldn't take anything for those memories. We'll be right back to the Pod 615 after this quick message from our sponsor. Just a short drive from Nashville, in the heart of Middle Tennessee, lies the historic town of Bell Baco. And there, nestled in amongst the charming antique and boutique stores that line the main street, sits the famous Bell Buckle Cafe. For over 30 years, this family-owned restaurant has served their delicious, freshly made menu items to locals and visitors from everywhere. Not only the best meat and three in Tennessee, the menu also includes barbecue, catfish, chicken tenders, pork chops, burgers, sandwiches, and salads. And after 4 p.m., the popular J. Gregory's Pizza, originally from Huntsville, Alabama, is deliciously prepared and sliced up. Whether a day trip down from Nashville or simply driving through the state, Bell Buckle and the Bell Buckle Cafe is a must. Find the Bell Buckle Cafe on Facebook or check out the website at bellbucklecafe.com. It's not as country as it used to be. Some of the old timers, so many of them have passed away that did the old country. And um, yeah, there's always been a generational change. There's always been, you know, yeah. it's, uh, we're going to add the drums now. Now we're going to add. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, see, as long as Roy Acuff was there, he wouldn't allow drums on the stage. I remember. That was his. Reading about that. That was his uh, thing. He no drums. And, of course, it, went, it started in the Appalachian uh, Territory, uh, mountain people sitting on their porch doing kind of folk songs handed down from Ireland and places. And A.P. Carter, uh, who lived in Hilton's, Virginia, right over the Tennessee line, would go out and collect these songs and work on them and Pretty soon, it was becoming more country as it traveled toward Nashville um, and and the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, it got more country, more honky-tonk sound than the mountain sound. And A.P. had a daughter um, named, um, well, Jeanette. Since I had COVID, I can't remember things. Well, Jeanette and I became Dear friends, she was like in her 80s, late 70s, early 80s when I met her. And I have a funny story about that. Marty Stewart, I knew Marty and Connie real well. And Marty brought her into the Ryman for a special show one night, and I was there. And my editor was here visiting me from New York. And um, at the end of the show, she did what all Southerners do. Y'all come see me. That's what she'd say. Y'all come see me now. That's how slow she talked. So we got back home, and a day later, I said to Carol, my editor, I said, let's go see her. So I called her. I got her number, and I called her. And I said, Jeanette, I'm, I'm Maggie Vaughn. Uh, I'm to Port Lauderdale, Tennessee, and you said y'all come, and I want to come see you with my editor. And she said, well, okay. And I said, okay, well, we'll be there Wednesday or something, whatever day it was. And uh, I hung up, and I said to Carol, I said, she didn't sound too enthusiastic. And she said, well, let's go. So we went. She lived in Hilton's, which she called Poe Valley. And, honey, she saw us drive up. She met us at the door. She said, y'all come on in here. I fixed lunch. And um, I said, well, thank you. Uh, 
Jeanette, I said, you didn't sound too excited about it when I talked to you. And she said, well, I called Johnny. Of course, Johnny was married then to June Carter, her niece. I called Johnny. He said he knowed you, and you was mighty fine. You welcome in my home. And we got to know her, and I would go back a lot to visit her. And one night, a huge storm hit, and I was going to drive back. And she said, you just stay right here in this house. Well, I saw a big old grandfather spider. Well, there. Well, I was bitten when I was a child by a spider. It scared me to death. And I thought, I can't sleep here. That spider might get me. So she called her her uh, niece, who ran, they ran the Carterfold. I can tell you about that in a minute. And she said, said I've got the key to Tom T. Hall's house here. He had a little house up there. Said, I'm going to put them there. So I slept in Tom T.'s bed that night. And when I got back to Bell Book, he used to come over here to see me, and he'd eat at the cafe. And I said, well, Tom, I slept in your bed last night, you know, when he got here, or, or night, a couple nights ago. And he loved that. Um, and he loved my writing. He he said my um, Grendel Ropper book was genius. He he said that he said this book is genius, Maggie. How did you know all this? And I said I grew up on it. You know, I grew up on it, Tom. I was going to mention him. Now I want to go back to Johnny Cash. Johnny Tell Cash. Me about Johnny, your first. I, well, I knew Johnny, knew Jean, June, yeah, knew Helen, Anita, Mama May, Maybell, knew them all. Uh, and Johnny was not around the Opry a lot at, at the days that I was going there. Um, at that time, June was going to be or was married or going to be to Carl Smith, and uh, I I knew them all. And I remember one time I was in Jeanette's home there, and she said, "June was just here, and she wants to see you." And I said, "Well, where is she?" And she said. She's over in Kingsport. At Kingsport was just right across the line from where's Hilton's. And I got in the car and I said, well, I'll be back and I'm going to go find her. And she said, well, she goes to this. She named a store that she liked. And I went there. And I walked toward the back of the store and June was back there. And June saw me and, of course, recognized me immediately. said, oh, I know you. You know, and... um. Uh, she said, uh, Jeanette told me you were coming, you know, and um, uh, I got to see June that day. And I bought a guitar in a pawn shop before it went in there right quick and got her to sign it. Do you still have that? No, I sold it. Oh, no. I have a guitar, though, that um, I still have it, uh, that when Kitty Wells, they had her last going away show at somewhere off of near the new Opry's place. Um, and Marty Stewart and Connie, all of them, Jack Green, they were all there. And they signed the guitar for me. I had another guitar. I had them all signed it, and I still have it. And But I let Junes go because I needed money. When I need money, I sell something. I try to hold on as much as I can to things. I have a lot of stuff that belonged to Minnie Pearl and... Uncle Dave Macon and furniture and all of that, you know. I feel yeah, you said you had some Hank pieces as well. I got some Hank Williams pieces. I got his 
end tables and coffee table and a lamp and several things that was his. Now, of course, Hank passed away before. Yes, he did. He you would have met him, but did you ever meet Hank Jr.? Oh Lord, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd gone to their house when Hank was about twelve to um, interview um, Audrey, but she wasn't there. Um, so I sat and talked to Junior a long time. He showed me all of his guns and all that. Then I would see him after he got on the Opry. And um, Audrey, I would see a friend of mine and myself, we started a publishing company. And, of course, I worked for the paper, so I didn't spend much time there. I'd go there at night. And Audrey had an office in the same building, so we'd see Audrey quite a bit. Did she ever share any stories about Hank with you? Well, no, uh, because we didn't talk that much. Now, Barbara, who was the partner with me, uh, knew her real well. The Pod 615 will return in just a few moments. Are you looking for a new way to promote your business, product, or service? If yes, then why not consider advertising here on Pod 615? Use your own ad or we'll create a custom one to showcase your brand right here. Reach out to us online at pod615.com. That's pod and the numbers 615 and learn how we can help promote your business, product, or service. Okay, I want to ask you, in my research about you, Maggie, is it a book of poems called Talking to Twain at Quarry Farm? Yes. And now Mark Twain was an inspiration. He's been an inspiration to many writers. Tell me about that. And Well, Elmira, New York, was where he spent his summers. His sister-in-law lived there, his wife's sister. She had young children the same age as uh, Mark. And they spent all summer there. And that's where he did his writing. He traveled in the winter to places and spoke. But he wrote Huckleberry Finn and all those famous books at that farm. Matter of fact, the sister-in-law couldn't stand him smoking in the house, uh, all those cigars, and built a beautiful studio for him to write in and put it on the, out in the back up on a little hill. And I wrote in it. It had been moved to the college there. Um, and I was the first poet to ever receive a fellowship there. The rest of them were all people who were writing biographies on him. And uh, I got to sleep in the bed, ate at his table, wrote in his studio. And my project, I told him, you know, you had to have a project. I said, I'm going to write a book like I'm talking to him, living here with him. And I did. It was called Talking to Twain at Quarry Farm because the farm was called Quarry Farm. And um, her parents, uh, his wife's parents, lived uh maybe a mile from there, from this summer place, where they be have a summer home, but it was a big two-story brick home, a real fine home. But back then, a mile was like 10 miles, you know, back in his day. Uh, so um, I got, it was, I was like he was there. I talked to him. And one night, I uh, I was out late, and I thought, Lord, I forgot to leave a light on. And uh, when I got back, a light was on in that house. And I said, well, Mark, you turned the light on for me. I felt him all around me. Um, I would talk to him. And what's so funny is the night that they had the election and they couldn't decide if Gore won or Bush had won. It went back and forth every hour of change. And I, I was watching it in a room there, and I said, well, Mark, Mark, honey, you'd love this. 
you know, I said, you'd be writing about this. And, uh, I mean, I talked to him just like I was talking to him. I was there on Thanksgiving, and uh, the, the dining room had this beautiful antique long table with all these portraits of the family hanging on the wall. And I, there I sat with that fine china eating a bologna sandwich because <laughs> I can't cook. I thought Mark would love this. Loved him. Well, what's next for you, Maggie? What's uh, What do you want to see work, accomplished I, next? I'm working on books every day. I've got about four books in the works right now. And life. you still handwrite everything. I handwrite everything. and But my problem is I can't read my writing. So surely my friend comes over and who takes care of me. And I dictate it to her and she'll write it where someone can type it and read it. But I have a hard time reading it to her because I can't. I write so fast. I write. I'm working on four books at one time. Wow. And I'm updating the Opry book. Okay. I just got to get the money to get them out. Okay. So I'm selling a lot of my stuff. Uh, selling my books. I don't. And so. Um, well, you're not hard to find, are you? They no, can just Lord. Come to Bellbuckle and ask Bell Bellbuckle, everybody knows who I am. Everybody knows where you live. Yeah. Where, and yeah. they come by, like, like I say, last Sunday I had 11 or 12 people here. Some from Ohio, some from Michigan. They come from all over the United States. Uh, Maggie, thank you for sharing this time with thank me, you. with our listeners. Thank, and uh, thank, thank you, for, honey. And you come anytime and anybody's listening, come to Bell Buckle. I'm in my living room and love to see you because, honey, I love to live. We love you too, Maggie. Thank, thank you, you, honey. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our special two-part interview with poet, author, and lyricist, Maggie Vaughn. We hope you enjoyed the conversation from this treasured Tennessee resident. Do you know a person of interest you'd like to hear interviewed on our podcast? Let us know. Reach out to the show through our website at pod615.com or send us a message on any of our social media accounts. Once again, thanks for listening. Have you considered creating your own business podcast? If you're an expert in your field or simply want to engage your customers, then you should. Guess what? Pod615 offers professional corporate podcast production, editing, and publishing. With a wide variety of services to choose from, we can give voice to your business. Reach out to us on social media or the internet to learn more about featured and branded podcast production from Pod615.